couple of weeks ago, we kicked off our 2010 and 2010. Not really a campaign, just something we as a church decided to do to give $20.10 more per month, whatever you were giving, give $20.10 more per month, and then we would take that money and do some kind of different things with it throughout this year. We have a clear vision in our church, so we're going to apply it to different areas around our, our own community and around the world. And the first thing we decided to do with our 2010 uh, money that was coming in uh, was to uh, dr- dig a borehole in Nigeria. We're going to partner with back-to-back ministries and self-sustaining enterprises, our two arms of our missions of our church, to dig this borehole. Um, we're going to dig it on the property of our missionaries because they are basically, one of them, one of the couples is out of water completely. Um, the other couple is starting to, you know, shower in muddy kind of water. Um, so we're going to dig a borehole on their property. And I just wanted to show you a video of uh, how important it is to have clean water in Nigeria and how much of an impact that money will have. So as you're thinking about what can an extra $20.10 a month do, well, um, how about saving someone's life? Someone will not die. Thousands of people, as a matter of fact, will not die as we dig boreholes in Nigeria. So I want to continue to remind us the impact that we're having on the world as we sacrifice and give here at Grace Chapel, even the smallest amount. Okay, in Matthew 22, 37... When he was asked, what was the greatest commandment, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all of your mind. And he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. But I want to focus on this part this morning. Last week, we started a new series called One Step Closer. We talked about the vision and the mission of our church. And this morning, I want to focus on the first point of our mission, centering our lives on God. What does it mean to center our lives on God? Well, I'll tell you, uh, let me suggest to you that the, the most important, effective way to center your life on God is to conform to the image of Jesus Christ, his son. If we are conforming to the image, if we're becoming more like Jesus, we will then center our lives on God. That's how important centering our lives on God is when it comes to conforming to the image of Christ. If we do that, our lives will be changed and will become more like our Heavenly Father. Have you ever been in a situation where uh, someone has verbally uh, hurt you in some way, maybe verbally attacked you? 
ever found yourself in a situation where you've been wronged by someone? Someone may have lied about you in some way. Someone, like I said, maybe have verb- has verbally attacked you. Someone who, um, who, who put you in a difficult situation or, or treated you, mistreated you with, uh, in some way or showed some disrespect to you. I don't know about you, but that's happened to me pretty often. And, and when that happens, my response, my flesh wants to react to it. I, you know, on the outside, the, my human side wants to really react to that. But then the Spirit always brings me back to two questions. Two questions. How, does this, how will this honor God? How will my response honor God? And what would Jesus do? And not just in one ear and out the other, what would Jesus do? But the list of those two questions. How does my response, how will my response to what was done to me honor God? And what would Jesus do in my situation? It's extremely important. Jesus should be the focus of our attention. Jesus Christ should be the focus of our lives. Even when we go through difficulties, like I just described, when someone does something to you, and they're wrong, no question about it. As we focus our lives on Jesus Christ, it helps us to become more like God in our responses to everything. And we need to focus our attention on Jesus Christ. And I have good reason for saying that. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, it says, He is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself, to, to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue to, in your faith, establishing and established, established and firm, not moving from the hope held out in the gospel. Jesus is the ultimate focus of the Bible. Jesus Christ is the ultimate focus of the Bible. From, uh, from the third chapter of Genesis through the book of Revelation, God reveals his redemptive plan. God reveals that plan. He speaks of one who will bring forgiveness, who will rule over all of creation. That is Jesus Christ. And if the focus of the Bible, the entire Bible, is Jesus, then shouldn't our focus, the focus of our lives, be on Jesus Christ as well? Colossians says that he, he, that he created all things, that he holds all things together, that he is supreme, that he is a focal point of all of eternity. So shouldn't we, as believers in Jesus Christ, focus our attention on him? Focus every area of, shouldn't he be the Lord of every area of our lives? He should be the Lord of our family lives. He should be the Lord of our family lives. Do, we, do, we, do you or do I teach, do we teach our children to love God or are we using God to kind of keep our kids out of trouble? I've heard so many people say to me, oh, now I have kids, I should go to church. 
Like they, you know, they, they, it's, you know, of course we all know, anybody who's been coming to church for a while, we all know that bringing your kids, just bringing your kids to church, they, keeps them out of trouble completely, right? You know that, right? I mean, if you bring your kids to church, that just kind of solves all of your problems. When I first started going to church, my wife Debbie's good friend um, in her youth group, she wasn't allowed to eat pretzels. They looked at me confused. Okay, no pretzels? Yeah, because they serve pretzels in bars. And here was the logic. Pretzels, okay, pretzels leads to drinking. Drinking leads to dancing, and dancing leads to sex. So you can't have pretzels. You see, guys, we've been missing it all this time. We're giving flowers, and we should be giving pretzels. I mean... I mean, if you're a married man here, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to help you out now. And then think of this for a moment. Imagine chocolate-covered pretzels. I mean, my goodness. That's the way to go. You give your wife a chocolate-covered pretzel, she starts dancing. You know what I'm saying? Next thing you know, woohoo! pretzels. I, you see, that's why you come to Grace Chapel, because I give you advice on your marriages and stuff like that. Pretzels is the way to go. It's pretzels. That's about... That, that, that's about as illogical, okay, as thinking that you can just bring your kids to church and it's all going to work out, you know what I mean? They're never going to get into trouble. You know, I, with moms, her mom thought of that. Her mom thought, well, you know, they serve their pretzels in the bars and the drinking will lead to drinking and drinking will lead to dancing and dancing will lead to sex. Moms are kind of, you guys are kind of funny, okay? If you don't mind, can I just talk? I just want to talk about moms just for, just for a couple. Moms are kind of funny. Have you ever noticed that mom knows how everyone else feels in the house? She just knows how you feel. I mean, you, you, you know, you're sitting in the living room watching TV, and your mom will walk in and say, you're cold. You know, put a sweater on, she'll say. And you're like, well, mom, why, why should I put it? You're cold, she'll tell you. She knows. She tells you to put a sweater on because you're cold. And you're like, I, don't, I didn't feel cold before. Have you, ever, have, you, have you ever gotten your mother so upset that she forgot your name? It's like, Sam, Pete, Nancy, whatever your name is, get over here. And I, I always found, I don't know about you, this is just me, but I always found the best time to talk to my mom when she was on the phone. That was the best time to talk to your mom. When mom got on the phone, you know, she's on the phone, she's talking, you're like, mom, 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 can I shoot Megan with the airsoft gun? Mom, mom. And, you know, she, first she ignores you, right? She ignores you. But then after a while, you don't quit, mom. Mom, so she gives you the eyes. Remember the eyes? Mom's eyes come like bulging out. She's got the phone and she's like, she's like, and, and it's like, it's like this fire piercing through your soul. She looks at you like this. But does that stop you? No, because you're brain dead and you just continue. Mom, mom, mom. And then she, then she, then mom's his next thing. After the eyes, it's the, it's the scary voice. Now, there's, there's two different things here. Before cell phones, a scary voice was a little louder because they could cover up the phone or the regular, the old phones that hang on the wall. Some of you still have them. I still have mine. They can cover it up. And if, if you don't cut it out, if I hear you one more, they, they talk their teeth. One more and I'm going to, if I'll get off this phone, the eyes come out and everything. Now with cell phones, they can't really make much noise. So it's almost like a game of charades you're playing with your mom. She like holds the phone. She's and she's saying it, and, she's, and you're like, uh, uh, she's like, and you're like, uh, an ape, an ape, um, Planet of the Apes, uh, uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex, uh, Jurassic Park. You know, she's like, you're, you're just kind of going through, and you're going, and she's having uh, a conniption. That's what it is. You're having a conniption. It's like, it's like charades for your mom. People, give moms a break. They try so hard. 
We drive them crazy. They're going to lose. If you think you're, if you actually, if you think your mom's a little bit like off, you made her that way. Okay? <laughs> I mean, the woman can't go to the bathroom without someone knocking on the door for years. They can't go to the bathroom. They can't get on the phone. They can't, I mean, if you couldn't sleep for the first time odd years of your life, and then after your kids were old enough to allow you to sleep during the day, I mean, at night you couldn't sleep during the, you couldn't rest during the day, you'd be a little off too, okay? So just remember that. Give moms a little bit of a break. All right. Sending your life on God, becoming more like Jesus Christ, will help our children stay out of problems in life. We need to focus, I'm talking about focusing our lives on God, centering our lives on God, and centering our family life on God. Yes, it will help your children if they have a relationship with Christ. If we center our lives on God, and we conform to the image of Christ, and we help them conform to the image of Christ, it will keep them out of a lot of trouble. Just coming to church isn't going to do it, but that relationship will, because it's an internal relationship that they have with God. There's a difference. As we center our lives in God, on God, it will change our family life. We, you should also focus your work life on God. It is so important to focus our work life on God. We should work in a way that honors God and reflects biblical character in our lives. When I was in college, I started working for Exxon. Now, I didn't want to be full-time at Exxon. I wanted to go into ministry, but I needed that job. I wanted that job to pay for my apartment, and I'd just gotten married to Deb and everything, and so I had to you know, get insurance and everything. While I was going to college, I worked full-time. And so you know, I didn't want to work there all my life, but my boss would tell me, clean up all the cigarette butts <clears throat> out of the parking lot. I want you to get all the oil off the island where the cars pull up and they do their gas and oil sometimes leaks on there. I want you to empty the trash cans, make sure the toilets are clean. When we get inspected, I want it to be great. Now, it was amazing. All these other employees would say, I don't see why I have to clean up cigarette butts for $3.35 an hour. And they didn't. They wouldn't pick any cigarettes. They'd sit in that booth. They wouldn't do anything. They wouldn't clean the oil off because they got $3.35 an hour. I cleaned up every cigarette butt I could find on that empire. My, my goal in life was that there would be no cigarette butts anywhere on the parking lot. It was a large parking lot. I cleaned every speck of oil off the island. I cleaned the garbage cans out. I emptied the uh, garbage cans in the bathroom. I cleaned those toilets. They were shining. You know why? Because I wasn't just working for Exxon. I was working for God. I was working for God. In Colossians 2, uh, 3.23, it says, Whatever you do, Work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. We need to have integrity, biblical integrity in our work. Centering our lives on God means that we put our family under his lordship. We put our work under his lordship. It doesn't matter where you're working. It doesn't matter what they're asking you to do. If they're paying you, if, they're, if you're working there, you're working under the Lord first. Be the best employee there. I kid you not, I went from cashier to assistant manager, to multi-store manager while I was taking 18 credits in college, okay, in six months. You know why? Because I picked up cigarette butts, because I cleaned out the garbage. I did what I knew they wanted me to do, and I wanted to be the best at doing it because I was a Christian, and I wanted to center my life on God. I focused my life on God. That's why I moved up like that. I had no desire, again, to be working for Exxon the rest of my life, but that didn't matter. We need to focus and center our lives on God, and we do that by conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. And I was working for Christ when I was working for Exxon. We need to give everything that we have 
to the Lord, and that includes our work. We should also give our leisure time to God. We need to give our leisure time to God. You know, you, you, don't, you don't need to go to the Holy Land every, for every vacation. But listen, especially those of you who are younger, you need to critically evaluate every movie you see, all the music you listen to, the magazines you look at, the books you read. We need to make sure, we need to make sure that we are critically evaluating what we read and what we listen to, where we spend our time. Our leisure time should be under the lordship of Christ. Our leisure time, how we spend our time, where we go, what we do, should be under the lordship of Christ. We need to center our lives on God. That means in our homes. That means we need to center our lives on God at work. That means we need to center our lives on God during our leisure time. We need to center our lives on God. We need to give to him everything that we have, everything that we are. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he needs to be your focus. You need to ask yourself this morning, is Christ my focus? Is he the focal point of my life? In John chapter 8 and verse 31, it says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, most of us are familiar with the second part of this verse, but really we're not too familiar with the first part of the verse. See, if you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then, then we need to hold on to his teaching. We need to live out his teaching. We need to be obedient to him. If we claim to be in him, we need to be obedient to him. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it says, he has, uh, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus Christ is the source of our lives. He's the very source of our lives. Jesus makes life possible. He not only created it, he sustains it. He sustains it through his power. As believers in Jesus Christ, we no longer lived. You know, when you accepted Christ, you died to self. So as believers in Jesus Christ, we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And the life that we live, we should live by faith. And you live your life by faith, by being obedient to God, to, by doing what Christ asks you to do, by living your life through his promises, trusting that what God promises, he is going to do. What God promises in our lives, he is going to fulfill. You know, we give financially in our church during financially difficult times, during these, these times even now, these ch challenging times even now, because we trust that God is going to use the, the abilities that he's given to us to allow us to gain the resources, the money that we need to live our lives. We trust that he's going to do that. We don't hold back all that we have and say, well, I got to save up for a, you know, a rainy day. I'm not going to give anything. I'm not going to give anything to the Lord. We give it because we trust him to use the abilities that he's given to us, the life that he's given to us. You know, God has given each of us our time, our talents, and our treasures. He's given us all of those things. They come from him. He, sustain, he created all things. He sustains all things. He is supreme over all things. He is your life. That's what, that's what the Bible says. So if he, if he has given us our time, our talents, our treasures, we need to use those things then to glorify God. We need to use all those things to glorify God. Jesus is also the source of our identity. My friends, we have meaning. We have purpose in life. You and I have meaning and purpose. Those who don't believe in God have no meaning or purpose to their lives. There's no, the, the definition of meaning and purpose doesn't really have anything, have any meaning if there's no God. 
But because there is a God, and because we believe in that God, because we have a relationship with that God, we have meaning and purpose in our lives, not because, it's not because of who we know. It is not because of what we do, guys. It's not because of what we do. It is because God created us in his image. We are literally created in the image of God. And not only that, God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us on a cross as individuals. That means if you were the only person left on the planet, if you were the only person standing, Jesus would have come and died for you individually. That's how significant. That's why we have meaning and purpose. That's the, Jesus is the source of our very identity. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you find your identity in him. Not in your work, not in who you know, not in what you have. You find it in him, and no one can take that away from you. We find our identity in Christ, and no one can take that away from us. He loves us that much. He loved us so much that he works to protect us. He works to protect us from harmful influence that would steal our joy and our love for him. In John 10.10, it tells us the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they might have life and have it to the full. Jesus Christ has come into this world to give us a full, abundant, dynamic life. Do you believe that Jesus is, is desiring to give you that enjoyable life? Do you believe that? Sometimes I think we, we don't really believe that in our lives. You know, that he wants to be the source, that he is, doesn't want to be, he is the only source of peace and joy and contentment in life. See, the world will tell you the opposite. The world will tell you if you become a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you just might as well pack up the whole idea and you've lost all hope of really enjoying life. See, when you become a Christian, you don't really enjoy life anymore. My friends, you can be sure that if the Bible tells you not to do something, it's because it's harmful to you physically, emotionally, or spiritually. It, it, you can be sure of that. If the Bible tells you not to do something that's supposed to be really fun and really enjoyable, it's because God knows that it's going to harm you physically, emotionally, or spiritually. You see, what the world offers you is simple bait and switch. That's what it is. It's simple bait and switch. They tell you, they say, oh, man, see, if you become a Christian, if you, if you know Christ as your Savior, then if you're, if you're a follower of Christ, then you're not going to be able to do what? What am I not going to be able to do? Am I not going to be able to do the things that lead to physical, emotional, and spiritual death? That, that lead to physical, emotional, spiritual bondage in my life? Is that what I'm not going to be able to do? Let me give you an example. Um, people love, you know, I'm talking about partying. I'm not talking about having a glass of wine. I'm talking about going out and partying. Oh, if you, know, if you become a follower of Christ, you can't go out and party anymore. You can't get drunk. You can't get high, whatever it is, whatever drugs. But here's the bait and switch that no one really tells you. See, when you start off drinking, it, it, it's because it makes you feel good. You do it because it makes you feel good. And you can relax, and you can open up, and you can cope, and all, because that's why you do it. But you know what happens after a while? You keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. You no longer want it. You need it not to feel bad. Starts out you're doing it because it makes you feel good, but in the end game, the end game where the trap springs on you is that you need it to not feel, because if you don't have it, you can't cope. If you don't have it, you can't open up socially. If you don't have it, you can't, you can't, you can't. So it's no longer a want, it's a need. You need it to go to sleep. You need it when you get home to relax. You need it to open up socially. You need it. You're in bondage. It offers you one thing, bait and switch, offers you one thing, and almost everything we can talk about, I can tell you, whether it's that or sex or anything, I can show you how it's a bait and switch. 
how, it, how you, it starts out as one thing, offering you one thing, but basically you end up in bondage. It's, it, the, the world offers you nothing but a trap that leads to a life of misery and emptiness. I've been on both sides. I know what I'm talking about. I went from darkness to light when I came to Christ. And I look back at the darkness. When I was younger, when I was about 19, 20 years old, my friends were running around doing things. I came to Christ about 18. I look back at them, and I say to them, I, wh- why would I want to go back into darkness when now I'm in the light? I don't understand. I know what that offers. I know what this offers. The problem is sometimes we don't know that. Sometimes growing up in the church, you don't realize it. But I'm telling you, I hope you don't have to learn this on your own. It's a trap. It's a bait and switch. And you will get taken down by it. My friends, surrender your life to Christ and begin to live the bold, the exciting, the dynamic, full life that God has for you. I mean, the Christian life is the best life to live. There's no better life. Following Jesus Christ, being a follower of Jesus Christ is the most dynamic, fulfilling, uh, exciting, bold life that you can possibly live. The rest of it, one th- they offer you one thing and give you another. So, okay, closing out here, how do we, how do, we do that? How do we, um, how do we center our lives on? What's the most effective way to center your life on God? We went through some things, but let me, I'll get real specific on a few of these things. And now, you have to listen with new ears because you're going to think, oh, goodness. You know, you First one is to pray. Spend time in prayer. You see, you kind of cut that off. Oh, yeah, pray. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're in church. Jesus, God, prayer, the Bible, you know, good. No, pray. Spend time, spend time in prayer in your car on the way to work. Spend time, don't close your eyes, but spend time in prayer, uh, you know, on your way to work. Spend time in prayer before, uh, as you get up in the morning when you're exercising. You know what I mean? That's a great time to spend time. Spend time with God. You want to be, you want to center your life on God? You can't center your life on God if you don't spend time with Him. Second thing you do is you need to read the Word of God. You, you can't get to know God if you don't know anything about him. You can't center your life on God if you don't know anything about the, the, the person that you're supposed to be, the God that you're supposed to be centering your life upon. Spend time in the word. I'm, guys, not even, it doesn't even have to be very long every single day. Just, just maybe a few minutes a day. Read, read a chapter a day or, read, or pick a few verses or whatever. Go through the Bible, but read, read, read as much as you can because you'll, it'll help you grow in your relationship with him as you center your life on God. The third thing is you need to ask yourself, as we center our lives on God, conforming to the image of Christ, what would Jesus do in my situation? Right now, you guys are going through some situations, and what you're doing is you're thinking of all the things you need to do in and of your own strength. Oh, I got to do this. If I make that phone call, if I do this, or if I switch this around, if I have, you're going through all the stuff, but you're not asking the most important question. What would Jesus do in my situation? And the best way to know what Jesus do in my situation is to know the word of God and to pray as the Holy Spirit speaks to you. But you can't ask God what's going on, how, how to handle things in life if you're not praying or you're not reading. How's he, how is he speaking to you? See, I do the same thing. I catch myself, even after 25 or 30 years, whatever it's been of me being a Christian, I still catch myself when I get myself in a situation, whatever, figuring out how I'm going to fix this before I actually start spending time with God on some things. I catch myself and say, wait a second, I'm doing this backward. I I need to pray and ask God, God, how will you help me get, how can I get out of this situation or what do I need to do to help in this area or how can we accomplish this? We need to ask first, pray and read and ask. 
Jesus, what would you do in this situation? And the last, you need to ask him to come into your life. I mean, you can't have, you can't be centering your life on God if you don't, if you don't know who this God is, if you don't have a relationship with God. How can you say you're close to someone or you want to be like them or center your life around them if you don't even have a relationship with them? You need to have a relationship with God. You need to get to know God. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. In Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. In order to center your life on God, you have to know him. You have to have a relationship with him. There's so many things that God wants to do in your life. He wants to show you your purpose. He wants to show you the meaning of life. He wants to heal your relationships and your family. He wants to help you at work. He wants to show you the moves that you should make at work and how you should treat other people and how you should, I mean, even how to advance in your company or what you, when you should step out. He wants to be involved in every area of your life, in your relationships, who you choose to date, everything. God wants to be a part of every area of our lives. But before he can have influence in your life, you need to have a relationship with him. And having a relationship with God is not saying, I believe in God somewhere out there. It is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth for you individually and as a whole, but individually so that you can have a relationship with him. Bow your heads with me as we close here. If that's your desire this morning, then I want you to just pray this simple prayer with me. Today could be your spiritual birthday. There's, a day, there's two birthdays in life. One when you were born physically, and one when you were born spiritually. That's why the Bible talks about being born again. It's a spiritual birthday. Today could be your spiritual birthday. Mother's Day could be your spiritual birthday. It's easy to remember. But if you want that relationship with God this morning to help you in every area of your life so you can center your life on him and become more like his son, Jesus Christ, I want you to pray this with me. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just pray it to yourself. As I pray, you pray with me. Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for creating me and loving me. Father, I may, I may not understand it all right now, but I do know that I want to get to know you more. God, this may be my first time in church or maybe I've been coming for a short period of time, but I just, I don't, I don't get it all yet, but I, I do know that I want to get to know you more. I want you in my life. I don't want to do this alone. I'm tired of trying to do everything on my own. So God, I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit. Show me my purpose. Show me the true meaning of life. Show me my gifts and abilities. Change my life from the inside out. I confess my sin to you and ask for, you, ask for your forgiveness. I don't need Pastor Jeff or even a Bible to tell me that I'm, I'm a sinner. I know I, I, I'm, I do wrong. I make mistakes. So I ask you, just forgive all those things from the time I was born to right now, Lord. Erase all those things from my life. I want to be, be set free from those things. I want a new life. I want a new beginning. I want to be born again. 
I want to be born all over again and start fresh. Make me one of your children. Adopt me into your family. And I'll love you for it. In Jesus' name, with everyone's head still bowed, I'm, I'm not going to ask anyone to stand up or anything. I just, I'd like to know, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I just want you to put your hand up for just one second and put it back down. At the end of the service, if you would like, you can come up and I, I'd like to give you a gift. Um, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, i just like to give you a gift after the service. Everybody's leaving. You can come forward. I'll stay up here and uh, I'd like to give you a gift for that. Let me just pray as we close here today. Lord God, we are so, so thankful for this time that we can spend together. We are thankful for our moms, for the women here who nurture us and care for us and love us so much. We just pray, dear God, that you would bless them today and every day, that you'd bless them. Give them encouragement. Give them strength to continue to do the hard work that they do for us each and every day. Father, we pray for those who have given their lives to you this morning. We pray, dear God, that you would just surround them with your love, that you would give them your spirit, that you would pour out your spirit upon them. Help them to become the people that you've created them to be. Help them to love you more and center their lives on you. Father, we'll give you the praise and the glory for everything we know you're going to do in and through us as a church. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.